0: Chapter 31 After two weeks of fair weather, the third began with thick clouds and turned to rain and a blustery wind that blew one minute north and the next south, never settling long on where it came from or where it went. The world became a colorless drizzle. The sun was no more than a lightning in the gray as it wheeled overhead. The limit of the world seemed a stone's throw from the ship in any direction. Everything beyond was swallowed in fog. The sounds of the sails whipping full or slack upon the inconsistent wind echoed back to them out of the mist, like a ghostly omen, and the crew avoided the deck. They busied themselves in the dim, cool holds. The weather sapped their spirits, and many spent hours between meals or watches in fitful attempts to sleep away the drear. The watch stood their duty in silence, squinting into the wispy gray, hoping to catch a glimpse of its end. In the midst of this mid-Atlantic gloom came Topper and Armand with ill tidings of the crew. Finn was sitting in her cabin, wrapped in a woolen blanket, trying to keep the cold away as she looked over a scattering of sea charts that Armand had been teaching her to read. Topper shambled into the cabin, shaking his head and grumbling under his breath. We've a thief aboard, he said. Finn had spent time enough as a sailor to know that thievery while underway was a rare thing. Only a fool stole from the men he slept with when he had nowhere else to go and nowhere to hide what was stolen. A thief on a ship was doomed to discovery. "'Are you sure?' said Finn. Topper scratched his belly and shrugged. A "'Few days ago, one of the men come to me saying his blanket was gone missin'. so I mustered the crew and turned out the berth looking for it. We didn't find it, but then it turned up during the next watch in a corner somewhere else.' So's I figured it was, you know, just misplaced. He pulled up a stool and sat down at the table across from Finn. Armand crossed his arms and leaned against the wall in the corner. Then, yesterday, one of them come to me saying his lucky corn cob, what his missy give him, was up and disappeared. Who in the bright blue steals a corn cob, I ask you? He shook his head in wonderment. So, I tell him he must have tucked it away and let it slip his mind. Oh, well, come this morning, it still ain't turned up, and the poor devil is mad to find his bugger in corn cob. So I line them up in the berth and have them all search their heavens while Armand and me look for this accursed cob. Turns out that when they all go to searching, that about ten more of them find out they got stuff missing. Nothing big, mind you, but little stuff a, a trinket, a lady's hanky, a looking glass, a corn cob. And we can't find no trace of it. It don't make no sense. Finn agreed. Did you ask Thiggum? "'The doctor? Don't know I'd call him a doctor, but he's got a big bag full of strange stuff he holds on to. I wouldn't trust him far. Hm. I hadn't thought of that. I'll shake him down good.' Armand stepped forward and bent over the table so he could speak softly and be heard. "'You must warn them, Sherry,' he was nearly whispering. "'You must show them anger and let them see that you will give them justice.' If you do not, they will turn on each other to find it for themselves. The crossing is long. Tempers are short. You must be swift and hard if you are to keep them tamed. His voice made her shiver. She hated it when he whispered. But she heard wisdom in his advice. If the thief was not found, then the crew would find one. Whether he was the right man or not, they would blame someone and turn on him. Well, what do you suggest? she asked. Armand's lips curled up almost imperceptibly. Finn didn't notice. Topper sounded the whistle. and all-hands slunk to the main deck for muster. The weather hadn't changed. The ship floated through a cloud, going nowhere. The crew muttered and complained. They huddled together and crossed their arms, tucked their hands away, shivered in the wet drizzle of the half-rain. Finn stepped out of her cabin. Captain on deck! shouted Topper. She was dressed for the part. The lockers in the captain's cabin were full of Creech's old clothes, and she'd chosen a long blue frock. Finn thought it looked rather captainish. Tan's rapier hung at her waist, and Betsy was tucked into her belt where it could be easily seen. Her hair was pulled back and tied. She looked fearsome. She felt ridiculous. Thank you, Mr. Topper, she said. Topper bowed smartly and stepped down to join the crew. She walked to the rail of the quarterdeck and looked down on her eighty men. None of them looked pleased to be outside in the rain, but none were foolish enough to speak of it. They stared at her in silence. We've a rat aboard the green. Finn glared at them. A ship despises a rat. I won't tolerate thievery on my ship, gentlemen. The man in question will present himself at my door before noon tomorrow. He will confess. He will return what he has taken, and he will receive a week's half rations for his crime. Most of the crew nodded in agreement, and a few called out for the culprit to disclose himself immediately. Men scowled at one another with narrowed-eyed mistrust. Should the thief choose to remain a rat, he's welcome to it, but he'll be caught, and when he is, he'll receive thirty strokes of the cat's lash. Several men whooped their approval. Finn spotted Nut across the deck. At the mention of the lash, he flustered and rocked back and forth, shaking his head. The sight sickened Finn, but she wasn't finished. Mark this, too. If any seaman takes my authority in his own hand, he'll feel the lash same as the rat. She looked around to see that her point was taken. Silence and wide eyes told her that it was. Nut slunk out of sight behind the foremast. That's all, Mr. Topper. Set the watch. Finn turned on her heel and marched back into the cabin. As soon as the door was closed, she leaned against the wall and let out a long breath of relief. The following day, the crew was silent and thoughtful. They tiptoed across the deck and looked repeatedly toward the captain's cabin. Whenever a man had cause to pass near it, he shrunk under the watch of his crewmate's suspicious eyes and hurried on past. Finn, Armand, and Topper waited patiently inside. They ate without speaking. They studied maps and sea charts and read quietly to themselves until noon came and went, and no knock had rattled the cabin's door. I guess I wasn't scary enough, Finn muttered. Then you must be hard, Sherry. When the man is discovered, you must show him no mercy. Make of him an example. Aye, Finn, he's right, and you know I'd tell you if he wasn't, said Topper. You don't seriously expect me to flog a man. You must, Sherry, urged Armand, or you will lose the crew. Your word will mean nothing. And what of it? I'm no more a captain than any of them. Why should my word carry any weight? Their yoke is easy now. They have nothing to gain by losing your favor. But the time will come when you will order them to bleed. And what then, Sherry? What will stop them when they turn on you? What will stay their mutiny when they take your ship and cast you aside? Armand leaned closer. Fear. They must fear you, Sherry. They must believe that you are monstrous. Topper frowned and looked at Armand with narrowed eyes. I'm not like you, Armand. Armand held silent and considered her. Finn sensed he was judging her, wondering how hard he could push, how far. Before Armand could answer, Topper spoke up. It pains me to say it, but I think he's right, Finn. If you don't follow through, they'll turn on you. Finn clenched her jaw. I will not flog a man, she said. Leave me alone. Get out. Topper huffed but obeyed and left. Armand lingered. His slitted eyes searched her face. He pushed the limit of her order. Before she could tell him to leave a second time or accuse him of defiance, he smiled and walked out. She knew the sting of the flogger's lash and wore its scars. It was a horrific thing, and she could not bring herself to visit the same torment on another human being. It was unthinkable. She would threaten the man, perhaps, carry through with the pretense of a flogging until the last moment, and then offer a reprieve. Then no one could say she hadn't followed through. They would see her mercy and approve. She could not flog a man. She would not. The man would be caught or not, and she would deal with the situation when it presented itself. She put the issue out of her mind and busied herself with other things. She retrieved the papers Captain Bettany had given her and sat down. On the first page, an etching of a woman's head and shoulders was framed in an embellished oval, below which was written, The Countess Caroline de Graff. Finn had expected a French countess to be a ravishing beauty, but was amused to discover that the woman in the etching was rather ordinary. Not ugly, simply ordinary. Had her hair not been done up into something that looked like a jewel-studded log, She'd have looked right at home on a farm or even at the orphanage. Until Finn looked at her, she hadn't realized that she expected to dislike the woman. But seeing her ordinary face, she thought she might like her instead. Finn put the picture aside and looked at the second paper. It was written in a neat, properly tilted script and detailed the Countess's life. She was born in 1757, only two years younger than Finn. For some reason, that made Finn smile. She had assumed the woman would be old. She read further that her favorite food was foie gras, her favorite pastime riding horses, and she spoke three languages fluently, French, English, and Arabic. She had a scar on her left cheek. The etching was a profile of her right side to hide the scar, no doubt. The last tidbit of information was that she was married to Count Martin de Graf, a man ten years her senior. Finn wrinkled up her nose and felt some relief that at least some part of the woman was ridiculously French. The last document was short and simple. It said she was to return the Countess to the city of La Havre de Grasse and contact a Mr. Terrasson at Le Bureau de Maire. Armand had translated the French and scribbled Office of the Mayor at the bottom of the page. Finn laid the instructions on the table and picked up the etching again. She stared at it, committing the woman's features to memory. It was odd that, try as she might, she couldn't stop herself from considering her a woman. She was two years younger than Finn, and Finn scarcely considered herself a woman. The Countess was just a girl. Two years ago, Finn had been clueless about the world, stumbling through it, barely managing to keep herself alive, still the case she had to admit. This girl was the prisoner of barbarians in a foreign land. Finn couldn't imagine the horror she must be living through. As she folded the papers and put them away, Finn felt that somehow she had made a connection with the Countess Caroline de Graff. As if some ethereal strand had tied them together across the world, and Finn was tugging on it, each heft of the line, drawing them closer to an inevitable union. She had a mission now, a real one, not an errand to run for a Congress she'd never seen, rather a person in need of help. A person who seemed ordinary enough to be real and worthy of rescue. No longer was this madness just a means of finding her way home to Peter. It was a means that mattered.